GovCon Secrets Podcast, we take a deep dive into the government contracting space, where you'll hear from a variety of expert guests on strategy, pricing, benefits, business tactics, and all this to save you a ton of money, time, energy, and effort. I'm your host, Jim Campbell, former Marine and CEO of Axum Fringe Solutions Group. My goal is to redefine the benefits world with a brutally honest view of how benefits, compliance, finance, and overall contracting strategy mixed with my years of experience and expertise can it benefit you to deploy strategies to help your GovCon grow and win in the future, all the while without boring you to death. We're going to have fun. Let's start the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another GovCon Secrets. Uh, today's very special guest, longtime friend, longtime mentor, Leo Fox, formerly of Tenacity Solutions. But we're going to talk about today, how is it being a CEO of a GovCon? And then how do you grow, scale, and exit successfully in this crazy world that we call GovCon? So uh, without further ado, Mr. Leo Fox, thanks for joining us, my man. Well, pleasure. Great seeing you again or hearing your voice again, Jim. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, we've been through some ups and downs over the years in the, our GovCon wanderings. So it's fun to get, get some information out to the, the rest of the folks that are trying to figure out what to do next. Yeah, you know, uh, the reason I thought this was so pertinent was that uh, – I remember sitting around your, your kitchen table, three guys, right? And I remember your kids playing in the backyard. Um, and now, you know, your, your youngest child's through almost through college, right? So it's already graduated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. Right. So yeah, I, you know, through college. So insane. And it just goes to show that that history, you know, seeing it from literally the very ground up all the way to, exit. Now you sit on boards and you, you know, you're helping other companies run their GovCon experience. Give a little bit of background about yourself, how you got into GovCon and, and kind of where it came from. So started my, my journey after graduating college, actually started working at CIA as a technical security officer. So I started in, in the Gov side and worked there for a little, little under 10 years, which helps you kind of build a reputation of who you are and what you're about. And when I exited and started up, I went to work for a couple of small firms first, and then started my own in 03. But you know, your reputation, everything you do follows you through your career. And I know you, Jim, Jim as, as a Marine, these things build on this, a chapter in the story of who you are. So it really helped kind of get me going, starting to do GovCon work in the Intel space. Having worked there previously, there was already some trust built up with the folks on the inside, knowing that when they hired my organization, they were hiring myself and other like-minded people that were going to come in and help out. So we had a little bit different situation than some, but most people tend to go into spaces that they're familiar with. Yep. Yep. Well, I mean, you went right into the IC space, right? And like yep. that is the intelligence community is such a tough nut to crack um, because it's talent, right? That there's such a small amount of folks you can, you can trust. But as you were coming up, right, I remember there was, there was a couple of us sitting around your kitchen table. Um, talk to us about the first startup days. Wow. Yeah, sitting around the dining room table was fun. But we were in a unique position. And I guess a lot of CEOs are going to say the same things. Entrepreneurs are going to say the same thing. But we started in 03. So think back to 03. You're just a little bit past 9-11. The government is spending a lot of money in the buildup back into Iraq and Iran, trying to recapture some of the damage that they did to us. Myself and a few other gentlemen at, at CIA, and I say gentlemen, guys and gals, were doing some cyber. And cyber was really in its infancy back in 03. 
So we were a fringe of a fringe. We were a handful of guys doing cyber. It was just starting to catch on. In fact, I didn't even call it Cyber in 03. It was still information security. So we kicked off the company with four, four or five folks, but then started, we created almost a magnetic attraction for other like-minded cyber folks to come work for us. And it was guys like Jim who helped us early on to understand that the differentiator in, in GovCon a lot of times is not just the work and the salary, but it's the benefits. It's the richness of the benefits package that you can create that draws people in and then keeps them working for you, keeps them from looking other places. The work, you can find the work within those GovCon spaces, especially if you're a niche at the Intel guys. Uh, but again, it's it's the richness of the benefits and what you're doing for your staff that keeps them happy and makes them bring their friends to you. Yeah, I mean, look, man, I, I, I know we've had these conversations, but I had to kind of tell you to slow it down, right? Because <laughs> you guys are spending money hand over fist on, and you remember those days, like just to keep people you heard your competitors doing the craziest stuff. And it was like keeping up with the Joneses. You remember, like, I remember we had a conversation one time and you were like, well, I heard somebody's doing nine weeks of vacation and 7% to retirement. And you were like, you looked at me across the table and Mary was right next to you. And you're like, how are they affording that? And I'm like, I, I have no idea, man. Like, I don't know what you guys are doing because you're over the boat right now. Yeah. How, how does that model just didn't seem sustainable? And it turned out it wasn't. Yeah, exactly. It's it's not. And it the key is to build a sustainable model that actually works and, and can continue forward. Yep, yep, and yep. As you and I struggled with and as CEOs and, and their their managers look at how do you continue it year over year as healthcare prices go up year over year, how do you how do you continue to remain profitable and keep your staff happy? and keep moving forward. It's, it's, it's a challenge. Oh yeah. It's brutal. It's brutal. And, you know, as time went on, you know, and, and going back to the very beginning and you started adding a couple more folks, what was getting a contract like back then? Because that would then be get more people and then you had to satisfy more bodies. But I mean, how hard was it to win a contract? So our first, the first prime contract we won, we won six months in, which is, Almost unheard of. Yep. Um, but there was a situation where uh, one of the big guys, and I don't like naming names, had been running this contract within the office of security, uh, within the Intel space. The folks that were managing it knew myself and Matt and a few other folks in the company, and they called us and said, we're sending this over. We want you guys to bid on it. And it wasn't as if it was wired to us, but it was. Yep. Uh, now, if it hadn't been for the fact that we spent the time late nights on the weekends, putting the bid together to make sure that everything ticked and tied and that everything is section L and L and M synced up. And then we did all the right work, which we did, but we were in the right place at the right time with the right staff, knowing the people on the inside that were entrusting us to come in and fix a problem that they knew that we could fix. And that goes back to reputation, right? Like you said before, like your, your previous experience. Absolutely. And, and that's just not you. It's the, it's the folks that you carry with, right? So it, that's, that is a huge thing because I remember you guys didn't have an admin. You guys were doing it. You know, you're putting the boxes together and you had to deliver the proposal. Um, I, I remember that clearest day. I remember Papa G sitting over to my right talking about stuff and you guys were 
kind of putting pencil to paper. That's a uh, that, that's crazy because I work with a lot of smaller entrepreneurs now that are doing the same exact thing. It, it you know history repeats itself. Hard work wins all the time as long as you have a good reputation to stand on. Yes, your situation was a little unique that you had somebody kind of throw the ball to you, but if you had to go back and let's say that that opportunity wasn't there, would you have changed anything about the work that you put in or how you went about going after the contracts? Not at all. And you know, a lot of people, and, and, and you've heard it probably said about yourself, and I've heard other people say it about you, oh, they're lucky. Like, luck's not a fair word. There is some luck in it, yeah. obviously, but it's timing and hard work and the right people around you. And then you make your own luck from that. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, and that begets into after you started to ramp, there there wasn't always easy times, right? Because oh. I remember a couple of the stuff that you you went through, you had some travelers and you had a lot of other stuff, but your corporate culture got to be like what we see today, very entitled. And, you know, it was always, it was, people were on the wagon all the time, right? Um, but that's, as you grew, how do you keep up with something like that? So the interesting story, and I didn't appreciate it until one of my professors told me later a great analogy, and he explained it to me this way. He goes, Leo, all companies are like living organisms. They have a, a beginning, you know, birth. They have their infant years. They have their teenage years. They have their, you know, early adult years. And then depending later, you either achieve a sale and you go off and do something different or, or it dies. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that as a CEO, you've got to make sure that you're evolving through each of those changes and that you will find that you've got staff on board with you that were great at phase one of the organization where everyone was doing everything because it was fun. Mm -hmm. But then as the organization gets a little bit bigger and you bring in admins and you bring in advisors and folks to help you move along and you have to start taking people going, listen, you don't need to do all that anymore. You need to go back to doing this. Those people aren't necessarily good at just doing that. They want to do a lot of other things. And what you've, but the hard part is as a CEO is you've actually got to let those people go so they can go find another organization that's in that stage where they can thrive versus you trying to funnel them into something and constraining them. Yep. But as the CEO, you're looking at it going, you know, especially early on, they're all your friends. Yep. These are guys right. eating, sleeping, you know, in, in harm's way with many times. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to let them go because you want them to be with you for the whole journey, but they can't because it's yep. not for them. Yeah. And that, that, that is absolutely a struggle that we see daily, right? Yep. Because as you get to that 2 million, 3 million, 5 million, everybody's having fun. You're all in it together. You're seeing the wins. 5 million to 10 million, things might change. Like you said, you're getting some new staff. Then you get past 10 million and you're, the expectations of your company have greatly changed from the people around you, right? Yep. And now you Absolutely. look back internally and say, We've, we're not the same company. It's not fun right now. Now it's business. And, and it can't be. Yep. It can't be the same. If, if you want to have a successful company and you want to, you know, the old, you know, management school philosophy is your job as the CEO of your company is to maximize shareholder value. It's all about making sure that you're getting the value of the corporation back into itself, hypothetically right. enriching everyone in it. Yep, absolutely. And, and as you were getting those first couple wins and you were hiring staff, 
that's the growth part. Like you said, you're finding your legs. You guys are probably making the same mistakes that everybody else does. Um, but then I remembered you, it was like a hockey stick. Something hit where it just like you blew up overnight. I think you went from like 20 employees to 90 or something quick. It was, it was very, very fast. Um, well, talk we, to me about that kind of scale. Yeah. So we were, we were, we had really great growth early on. And it's easy when you're five and you go to 10 and you go, Oh, we doubled in size, you know? So it's yeah. not really a good analogy, but we really did well in Oh three to Oh seven. Mm-hmm. We probably grew from, you know, from, from four to like 40. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, you know, timing's everything. 07 and 08 was when the stock market kind of crashed. Yep, that's right. And everything died in the D.C. area. In fact, it was so bad that even the, the government itself got caught in the, the dark cloud that was over it, and they stopped making decisions, which slowed everything else down. But fortunately, we remained profitable. Fortunately, we continued to grow, but not at the 30 40% we were growing. We were growing at like 3 or 4%. That's right. But when the market readjusted in around the latter part of nine into 10, we were positioned to grab a bunch of work and hire a bunch of staff. And that was where we really took off. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And then uh, I remember people left and came back, you know, like I remember you brought some of, some of the people that had to go, they came back because they were able to fill a specific role again. Um, but I just remembered that, that hockey stick growth. Talk to me about trying to scale a GovCon from your chair. You know, it's it's tough because you know you got you got to try to you got to try to figure out how you're going to bring more people in, and you're going to have the venture capital guys and investors going. Well, listen, we'll we'll put some more money into you, but money doesn't really help you grow. Mm-hmm. Money will help you hire marketing staff or development staff, but the staff you need are the ones that are generating value for you that are out on the contracts. That's right. There's work out there, but how do you find them, especially in a, an environment that we were in? And, and all environments are tough. I'm not going to suggest that anyone's having an easy time finding staff. But when you say you're doing security, cybersecurity, and they have to have a top secret clearance with polygraphs, it makes it a little bit trickier. Mm-hmm. Cyber guys don't like to get polygraphed. It's just <laughs> something about their, their ilk. And I've not quite figured it out. And I'm one of them. <laughs> we, we strove very hard and, and you knew this as well although we have crazy great benefits that were paid for we were very cautious about paying out bonuses for people to bring in new staff because we didn't want people just our employees just bringing in any resume that's right we wanted to make sure that they brought in their friends that they wanted to work with doing the kind of work that we wanted to do and we stayed laser focused. I think you you sat in many of my st- monthly staff meetings, and I would say, "This is what we do. Okay. This is all we do. We're not we're not building nuclear submarines and doing cybersecurity. We're doing cybersecurity. If you have friends that want to do cybersecurity, bring them to us. Okay. And we'll hire them." And we did that over and over again. We also spent a lot of time, and you were aware of this, going out to all of the cybersecurity conferences out to DEFCON in Vegas, out to um, ShmooCon here in the D.C. area. But you have to go every year, make friends, and right. go back every – you can't just roll in with a couple of execs and try to make friends and try to hire people. There's a commitment level to whatever space you're in. You know, if it's, if right. it's accounting, if it's healthcare, whatever it is, 
you have to know the people that are in that space and they need to be able to trust you that when you say you're going to do something, you're going to do it. Yep. So you made that a part of your, your expense. You made conferences and things like that as part of your line item, actually. Had to. And, yep. So every single year it's on the budget. You knew that you're, how you're going to attack it. Obviously, as you know, there's just a million conferences for GovCon, right? And, and they, if you, if you tried to go to them all, you'd be broke, but. I'm tired. <laughs> that's right. That's right. hundred percent. Uh, when you look at it in the landscape, you think that it's beneficial to pick two or three, one or two that are specific to your type of contracting? I, I think that's the key. It, yep. It's got to be laser focused on the industry that you're in. Yep. And then did you walk in there with people that you wanted to meet or, or have preset meetings? Didn't have preset meetings. It was no. uh, mostly we'd go in and we had folks, fortunately, we had folks on our staff that were part of the staff of the organizations that were running the conferences. So you'd be there walking you the conference floor and then they'd see you and they'd bring you over to introduce you to folks. There you go. See, it, it, the reason I ask is there's so many people that we talk to, they either don't have the time for it, don't have the budget, or they don't think it's worth it. But you can tell different. You, like you said, like it worked for you. We have so many instances where it does work, right? And what we're trying to get people to understand is, especially regardless of what type of contractor you are, if you make that expense, if you if you take the time and make the expense and you work at it, it should pay out. So It will, it will yeah. pay out. Yeah. So if your budget's $10,000 a year and that's it, hopefully you get a return of X, X. from 10000 whether you, you find a prime that you can sub with, you find an opportunity you find maybe a contracting officer directly that has an opportunity and you can fill that slot, whether it's one body, two bodies, 10 bodies, it's getting your foot in the door, but you want to make sure that that time or that budget item is recuperated. And then, but it's going to be on an annual basis. You get, got to do it all the time. I think it's impossible for a company, any, any size company to say, we're going to dedicate this much money this year. We're going to check. I, I don't see that as a winning solution. Our, our winning solution was always, commit to a couple of conferences, continue to go invest in those conferences at some level of participation mm -hmm. and get your name out there year after year. And the people would see you recognize you and come, come to you and say, Hey, I got a guy or maybe I should come work for you. And then a year later they'd be like, I should have came and worked for you. Yep. And you go, well, there's still a job. And <laughs> that's right. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's funny because um, when we talk to people about, the Beltway Bandits, right? Like I, I, I joke around with some folks that I know affectionately. They have more cups of coffee at Starbucks and in and around Tyson's than I think <laughs> any human being should ever have. But I was like, th what that's built for them, to your to your point, is a cash. And people remember the name, remember a card, remember a face. So when they go to these conferences, that time invested was well spent. Now, for the folks listening that aren't in the Beltway, they live out Oklahoma or whatever, Texas these conferences can be your beltway is my point, right? Like they can be a way for you to tie it, tie back to folks that have opportunities or know of employees that are looking and things like that. So that's, that's, that's a good thing to think of about making a budget and saying, Hey, these shows are going to be on it every single year. Depending on the size of the organization. Now, obviously my old friend, Kevin Phillips from Vantech is not going to be able to go, but if you're a small company, the CEO or the vice president being there, it's a huge upside. Yeah. If you're walking the floor and, and some of your staff are meeting with folks and they're chatting, they're like, hey, come over here, Lee. I want you to meet somebody. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, what's, what's going on? And 
they'd be like, well, you know, Leo owns the company. And they're like, holy crap, what's he doing here? Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah. well, that's what, that's what our commitment is. That and the fact that you can make decisions right there. You can start saying, yeah, we're going to have, we're going to have follow-up calls or hey, that one wasn't really worth it. We're going to (laughs) wait to meet with these folks. Right. Yeah. No, that, that has a lot of, lot of cash to it. And again, if you're not here in the beltway, these conferences can be a way to tie back um, or even make some new connections, possibly new partner uh, connections. Um, And there are conferences all over the country, wherever you may be, there's a conference. That's right. If you're in cyber, if you're in, you know, if you're in web services, if you're doing front end, back end, there's a conference for you. I don't care if you're here or in Seattle or in San Diego or in the middle of the country. There's a conference three or four times a year. That's right. That's right. So we talked about the scale, but it wasn't always sunshine and roses, right? There was, Never. Never. Yeah, there was that ugly thing called sequestration. Oh, and <laughs> I had to say it, right? But if you remember... Before that hit, things, you know, we knew the economy wasn't going great and all that. People started tightening their belts, right? We started looking at, hey, what are the competition? What's the competition doing for benefits? What are some of our options? Because I think you were ahead of the curve, um, you know, sitting down with your CFO and making sure that Hugh and Matt were on the same team. But you guys really looked at it ahead of the curve. Even though it got tight, you guys were still ahead of the curve. What about your banking relationships? Like, how much time did you spend there? A lot. So uh, one of my mentors, Marty O'Neill, used to joke, he goes, the time to go meet with the bank is when you don't need to meet with the bank. So start that relationship day one. If it's just getting a $100,000 line of credit that you've got to sock your house against, but you're never going to touch, just get it in place. Create a relationship with the bank. It is hugely important. To your point in 07, 08, when things got crazy and things were really looking ugly you know, we went met with the bank once a month to talk about our cash position and what was going on and just keeping them up to date. And you know, we, we never got into you know, a real issue financially, but there were times where you, know, you had to kind of tighten the belt and go, okay, what are we doing? We're, we're going to meet with the bank again. We need to tell them what's going on. But bankers, bankers love more information. And the more you can give them, the, the more calm they appear to be and, and more See. willing to do business with you. And that, that's where I think people, like you said, the time to talk to a banker's when you don't need the money, but you have to have your stuff in order, right? I, I know that you guys always had your financials and you're very, you were dedicated to the KPIs. Uh, I know because I, I sat around while you were talking about them. Those meetings, setting up a line of credit, setting up the, you know, the diligent meetings to your banker, that helped you because your banking relationship, I, I, met, I met the guy a number of times on office parties or whatever. He was like a second part of your executive team, I think. Yeah. I mean, he, he was there all the time. Did anything change materially, though, with that relationship as you scaled? Other than your line of credit got bigger, but I mean, you guys, <laughs> you guys, you guys kept, you guys just kept meeting. You guys kept them as part of the loop, and kept them as part of the loop. Yeah. yeah, and we were fortunate, especially being in the DC metro area. There's a number of banks, and at, at the time, it was United Bank, mm-hmm. uh, it was Cardinal, that it was United. Um, but when we picked the bank. He was also the banker, the vice president of that bank, was a dear friend of mine, still is. In fact, we just had Thanksgiving dinner with him uh, last week over at his house. Um, But knowing the banker, and fortunately, his dad had been a senior guy in the intel space. So he kind of knew how business was done, Mm -hmm. having listened 
to mom and dad talking around the dinner table all the time when he was growing up. So when we would bring things to him, he would give us a thumbs up and say, you know, go ahead. You know, one of my, my favorite stories, I've got two. One I can't tell you because it's classified, but the other one I can <laughs> is our customer came to us. We were doing a lot of work uh, overseas and they needed us to buy like $2 million worth of equipment to be shipped over. And we had a $500,000 line of credit. And I called up Kevin on the phone and said, Kevin, I said, I, I need uh, I need a, a little juice up in my line of credit. He goes, what's it for? I said, I don't need to buy some equipment. He goes, is it for our favorite customer? I said, it would be. He goes, how much you need? I said, $2 million. He goes, let me call you back. He goes, two hours later, he calls me back. He goes, you got $2 million for the next six months, then it's going back down to the five hundred. We got the, we made the transaction with the government. They gave us the money. We gave them back the money in thirty days. He never loaded to five hundred. He left it at the two million. That's right. That's right. And again, credibility, history, yep. performance, constant communication. Yep. No, th- yep. this is it, and it's all building up to something, right? So you get to a pretty decent size in the IC space, right? Because I mean, you guys. Like I said, you guys had gotten to be one of the players. You were winning prime contracts. I remember you won a big one right before your exit. That was years of work. That wasn't just an overnight success because I remember you guys, it was paused and, you know, kind of stalemated and then you went back into it. How did you sleep, right? Because the scale for you guys was, I just, I mean, I remember it was, it was epic. But it was not. It definitely wasn't easy, easy on the executive class. Okay, so fortunately for me, everyone jokes. Everyone's got their superpowers. I'm not sure what your superpower, Jim, is, but one of my superpowers is I can sleep anywhere, anytime. Mm-hmm. So sleep was never a problem for me. Yeah, well, that that's but, so. I think sleep was like the, the metaphor. Like, how did you ha- how do you handle the stress? Right, like uh, because the stress of growing a GovCon and then having the economy hit the way it did. That was more adult. Growing was fun and the challenges and working with the team to get all the right pieces in place to grow. And you know, as you said, the big contract that we won, we knew it was coming out to the contract was coming out two years ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So we had folks in place helping to guide the government as to how best to write it. That put us in the best position to win it. Gotcha. The joke in the street is if you've waited till the, RFP has dropped, you've already lost. That's right. You need That's to right. have been shaping it all along to make sure that you can win it. Um, yep. But I will tell you that what the only times that I didn't sleep, we'll use sleep as a vernacular, was when the government shut down. Yep. And I, I joked, that was the main reason that I ended up getting to my board and explaining why we needed to sell the company. I'm like, we've got a wildly successful company that if we continue to do all the right things, we will do great things. Said There are a hundred people up on Capitol Hill that have shut the government down and could put us out of business for nothing that we did wrong. We were losing, we were bleeding $150,000 of non-recoverable cash a day. They were shut down for 17 days. I saw a couple of million dollars worth of value just bleed out of the company because couple of guys on, you know, a bunch of guys on Capitol Hill were fighting over cups of water. Mm-hmm. That didn't affect anyone except for lots of GovCon guys. Oh, yeah. I mean, how many people do you know that had to take a loss in their sale? Oh, Go my work God. for somebody. Yeah. yeah. 
And that, that, uh, that was really upsetting because we had a number of clients on our side. They had great people. Those people went to go work for the big companies that could sustain that 17 day holdover. You know what I mean? Yep. And, um, it was brutal. It was brutal to see, but, uh, you, you weather the storm, you get through it. And then, uh, shortly thereafter, what happened when we you came out of the storm? We packaged it and said, we need to sell this. Yep. And how long did that process take? So from the day you meet with the folks that are going to help you sell it, if you go with the, the standard guy, the group of guys that would do that, it's 18 months mm -hmm. from beginning to end. Yep. And uh, that process for you, was it educational? Was it worrisome? Was it kind of heartfelt? Yes, to all of the above. It's, it's the biggest roller coaster. As, as a CEO, it's the biggest roller coaster to be on. Partly because you 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 start two full time jobs. You're still running the company because you can tell no one except a handful of people that you're potentially going to sell because that would freak everybody out of the company and then all run for the exits, which would decrease your value. So you're running the company as if nothing's going on, and you're dealing with your attorney, your banker, the folks that are trying to help sell you that have huge requests on your time and energy to do both things at the same time. That's right. Yep. Yep. And then, you know, in a, in a non-GovCon, typically the sale, everybody knows about it. You know, you got, you got a deal team essentially working on things for you and you don't have all those resources in a GovCon, right? You have to keep overhead at a minimum so you can yep. keep profitability up because so the margins aren't huge. So you were essentially working two jobs for 18 months, yep. you and your executive team. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I remember um, during the end of, during the end of it, I was, I was, my family was on vacation. They joke. It was the, it was the vacation that dad didn't join us for. I was actually there, but I was on the phone every waking minute yep. of an entire week of being gone on vacation. So yep. once you stop those wheels in, pro in motion, you, you run to the end and it's a sprint. That's right. A nonstop sprint. Yeah, that's right. So, you start the company in 2003, you exit the company, what date? 15. Okay. So you put 12 years of everything you have into this. I know your, I know some of your story. I know some of the ways you financed the company, you busted your ass. You did everything you could um, to get that company up and running. Exit time comes. Is everybody happy? <laughs> no, not everyone's happy, unfortunately. That's right. That's right. And then... Uh, you again, you have to make those tough decisions. Like when you were growing and scaling, now you have to make tough decisions because you're Leo's out, right? They don't need Leo as a CEO anymore. Big, big box company comes in and buys us up for contracts. Um, your friends have to go work for someone else, right? That's, that's gotta be, that's gotta be tough. It's tough. You, the, you kind of look at it as a, as a, an entrepreneur and a CEO. And I, and I, I looked at it, we, we ran the company for a little over 12 years. Nobody put a penny into it and we left. And I know I can, I can look myself in the mirror and say, we created 12 millionaires mm -hmm. out of the sale. Right. Also, everybody that was in the company got a little bit. Yep. Some more than others. Obviously, it's the sliding scale. And, and that's, where, that's where the rub begins. Mm -hmm. who, who got a penny more than somebody else? And then greed creeps in and the rewriting of history creeps in as to who thinks they did more and should have gotten more or, or you know, whatever the, whatever the case may be. 
but yep. it's tough. And, and, and I, I remember that man. And, and we talked about it not just too long ago. I, I just, I couldn't believe it. I remember how you treated people. I remember the, the community, the, the culture that tenacity had. Um, I never would have seen that come in a mile. I just, even with a scope, I couldn't have seen it coming, but now it happened. You exit. You're on the other side of it. You're not ready to retire. You're not ready to call it quits, but you downshifted a little bit, right? Absolutely. Yep. I got out at a really good time. You know, my yeah. son was, my youngest was just graduating high school, getting ready to go to college. So that allowed, you know, Mary and I to go off and do some traveling and, you know, take advantage of a lot of time that we hadn't had because we were, you know, busting our butts running the company. Yep. And two stories on that. A young kid was, uh, was mentoring. He asked me, he goes, Mr. Fox, I don't see myself as a nine to five kind of guy. He goes, I see myself as a, an entrepreneur. I said, great. Then you want to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And he started laughing. And I'm like, no, <laughs> you're on all the time. That's right. Whether it's your company, or even if you're one of the if you're one of the core senior people in the company, right. everything you do, everywhere you go, reflects back on the company. So you've got to be on. So it was it was nice to kind of decompress after we sold. Yes, kind of, kind of take some deep breaths and go. Okay, what's the next What's the next phase look like? What are the next What are the next couple of years going to look like? Yeah, because I mean, you sit on a couple boards now. You work with GovCons. I know you filled in as president recently yep. at, at a company. Tell me about how that experience from Tenacity kind of shaped how you manage or you would manage today, because I, I, it's got to be different. The time is different. But and I think you went into a, a group of folks to run a company that wasn't in the IC space. So it, it, is it the same? Is it different? It's 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 exactly the same. Is All it really? the problems are the exact same problems. You know, we, we joke. You know, I, I went to a, a meeting with a couple of the CEOs and I was lamenting how hard it is to recruit and find staff and you don't get to have clearances. And, and the other guy's like, heck with you. He goes, I run a group of ER docs. He goes, I'm going to find medical doctors that want to do ER shifts in you know, hospitals in the middle of nowhere to make tons of money. He goes, I got it worse. The next, so every guy had their own story about how their vertical was harder to work. And we all just laughed and went, yeah, we all have the exact same problems. And it's, right. it's benefits, it's cash flow, you know, banking relationships. It's, you know, how do, how, do you, how do you grow? How do you maintain growth? Everyone's got the same problems. It's, it's not rocket science. The, the thing that I think that I take with me from the beginning to the end of Tenacity is we take longer to hire and we're quicker to fire. How about that? It's, you know, it's funny because that's the tech model from, you know, the, the blooming nineties, right? Like everybody was like, we're, but it was, it was like, well, no, they learned that lesson because they were quick to hire. They didn't yeah. hire, but then all of a sudden hire, the, and the, and the bubble burst. People that are that's right. <laughs> and bringing the organization down, but oh, we're going to put a pip in place. We're going to work on them. We're going to, no, get rid of them. Mm -hmm. Focus. I, the other thing I, I, I turned to, I, I remember it was a, it was an epiphany for me that I was spending 80% of my time on the 20% of the company that was the squeaky wheel dragging us down. Mm -hmm. Everyone that complained, I'm pouring my soul into trying to help these people. And I realized this is, I got this backwards. So I decided to spend 80% of my time on the 20% of the people that were killing it. Yep. 
And for, for those of you that don't know who's killing it, the guys that are killing it are the guys that when you call them, and these are guys and gals, when you call them and you say, hey, can I help you with anything? They say, no, I got this. Those are the guys you want to go have coffee with. Yeah. Because they're killing it. You just want to help them kill it better. There you go. The ones that aren't asking for help. So the internal mentorship of your own group. And, you know, it, it, it's amazing that you said there, everybody's suffering the exact same thing because let's go back to 2003 again. You need to get in your spaceship and you go back or your time machine to now. Everything that you said that you built the company on, everybody's going through the same thing right now. Yep. And look at our economy, right? We're starting to get that the same old type of flow and inflation's hitting and banks have tightened up and uh, RFPs are coming out slower, right? And, and it, the busy work is people are really wondering what's going on with their budget. I remember you guys talking about this over a decade ago, you know? So it's, it's you're right. The more things change, the more they stay the same. It's a, uh, a cycle. just go up and down or, or back and forth. It's a pendulum, whatever your analogy is. Yep. Yep. So you're on the other side of things now. You've, you, again, you sat on some boards, you sit on boards, advice to up and coming CEOs or C-level, regardless of CEO, that you would say about grow. If you're in the growth model of your GovCon, what are some of the things you want to keep your eye on the ball? One is to spend 80% of your time, with the 20% of the people on your staff that are killing it. Yep. The other thing I would suggest to you, and a lot of GovCon guys don't do this, and it, it depends on where you fit in your organization as well. But I was very focused on going and visiting my staff on site where they were. So if I knew I had you know, 10 guys working in this group in building XYZ, I would once a month go over and have coffee with them, stop by the office, just check on them, see what's going on. It did Three things. One, it built up their kind of team, knowing that the president of the company would come by and see them. Mm -hmm. Two, other folks around that were working for companies that their management didn't give a crap about them would go, wow, your company seems to give a crap about you because the president comes by. Yep. The other effect, which I never planned on happening, was after you did it a couple of times, the government leadership would see you. And if your team was killing it, like the government boss would grab you and say, hey, can I grab you for a minute? I just want to let you know your team's doing great. And I'd be like, that's awesome. Hey, if you wouldn't mind, shoot me a quick note that I can give these guys a bonus as long as I get a document. They'd be like, be glad to. And every so often they'd go, you know, I need a couple more of you guys. Or, you know, we're going to be releasing a new contract soon. Would you be interested? And just committing the time, much like we Back earlier when we talked about going to conferences, mm -hmm. visiting your staff on site over an extended period of time is going to give you optics into what's going on. Now, the one caveat to this was, and I was very good about this, if we were a sub, I would tell the prime, hey, part of our group, part of our ethos is I go by and visit them. They're like, do whatever you want. So whenever, you anyone, you know, whenever the government grabbed me, they would be like, so it's okay. I'm like, yep, all cleared. Yep. Being a good partner all the way around to the all client, around. to the customer, to your prime, um, because you did have it both ways. You were a sub, you were a prime. Yep. And that, that brings up a funny thing. If I could go back a second, how was your relationship with a lot of your subs? Because it probably wasn't, they probably weren't doing what you did as a sub to the prime. They probably weren't asking if it was okay with 
you if they could go see their their guys and gals. Uh, that's true. Um, we tended not to worry about it too much. I wasn't yeah. I wasn't necessarily afraid of, especially the big guys that were sub to us, which was always a, a fun thing to have the big guys subbing. To. <laughs> yeah, I, I still don't understand that. I don't yeah. understand that I, dynamic. I was, I was never worried about that. Yeah. 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 Cause I, I, I forgot about that. You know, uh, it's funny how a multi-billion dollar company is subbing to you guys. Right. I, I always wondered, I was like, how's that work out? But it, it's it, stranger things have happened, but, uh, you guys seem to have, uh, the, the strangest relationships. Like you knew everybody in the community. First and foremost, you always seem to know somebody like every time we would be somewhere, you knew who you, who you were working with or who, you know, who was around or who was on the contract. But you also had big companies subbing to you. Now, how does that work out from like a financial standpoint? If you're the prime and the government asks you to um, pick up a bill, a $2 million bill, what if a large company is your sub, right? It's still on you? Yeah, it's still, still on you. It's the same. It's not a big deal. Yeah, that's, that's great. You know, I think you guys handled it with a lot of class. I think you handled it there was a, a lot of tide that you're not, you're not talking about, but I remember there was a lot of turbulence at some points and you guys handled it with class and uh, you guys had a corporate culture that I've, I've yet to see be replicated. I've yet to see anybody out there that we're, that we're close with <laughs> do it the way you guys do grow the way you did and have as much fun as you did along the way. Yeah. That I would comment on, I know we haven't touched on, I don't know if we have time for it, but sure. The other thing that we focused on, and you were you and your team were a big part of it, was we focused on, you know, you've got your technical talent. These are typically young guys. Typically in the cyber world, it's young guys. There are there are a number of really sharp young ladies that we had hired as well, but it's typically young folks in there. You'll call it twenty five to thirty five. Their their wants and needs for benefits weren't really first and foremost in their head. So mm-hmm. a lot of the times we would be selling the benefits package to their significant others, you know, their, their wives that had small children. And we found that by making sure that we were taking care of the significant others and embracing them and making sure that they were taken care of, that we owned the, the staff. They would never mm-hmm. think of leaving because their wives would never let them go. That's right. That's right. One employee came to me at the end. He goes, you know, I was thinking of leaving two years ago. My wife said, no, I can't because... She liked it there. And, and the benefits were too good. Yeah. Now that's uh that's a great, that's, you know, a great story. You had a lot of people, like you said, exit with you, become very successful. A lot of them went and started their own companies. Yeah. Um, I think you mentor a couple of them still, um, you know, it, it's great to see, but as you are now sitting on this side of it, you're on boards, you're mentoring some of your former employees that are running companies. Yeah, have you seen the landscape of contracting change at all? Have you seen like any of the requirements or anything much different? Not really. Yeah. It, I think most of the sea change had happened prior to when we were in from 03. Mm-hmm. I think the change then, we really saw the change go from, well, you know, so go back to 03, 03 to 07, when the government was spending a ton of money, both in yep. Intel and DOD where the contracting officers officers were less worried about squeezing every penny. They wanted to make sure that the mission was met and that the guys Mm -hmm. that were at the tip of the spear were taken care of and then everything they needed. 
now that there's less of a war footing, now the contracting officers are back to really nickel and diming everything and going yep. for low cost wherever they can. And, you know, and everyone plays the game. You know, the big yep. guys will look at proposals, cut costs, create rates that nobody can fill. So it's, we saw that happen at the end of our run at Tenacity. Another <laughs> reason why we probably thought it was time to go. Yep. But that's pretty much been the same. I don't think it's really changed from 15. They've weathered the pandemic a lot yep. better than I thought they were going to. Sure. Yeah, me too. In the community writ large. But I don't think the contracting space has changed. I still think it's low cost. Yep. And retention and recruitment are still tough. Benefits are still a paramount to keep. And, uh, you know, staying in, staying in um, community, I would say, with your staff, right? Because, again, that corporate culture, that carried you guys. I mean, oh, absolutely. People, you guys didn't. I don't remember people leaving Tenacity. I know people did, and you had yep. to let some people go. But I don't remember nearly as many as you were hiring, right? People were no, coming we out had, of the woodwork at one point. We had a, I think it was a 4% yep. rate of folks that left. So, you know, 96% retention. Yep. And even some of the folks that left, we actually ended up hiring back later. I remember that. Yep. Yep. That's great, man. Well, you know, I think in summary, you know, as we, as we wind down here, uh, one, I want to thank you for all the years of friendship and mentorship oh, because you've been great to me. Um, but two, I've learned tremendous amounts of lessons over the years of watching how it's done right and how it's not done right. Right. And, and I can attribute you guys like Hugh, Matt, always doing it the right way. And some of these points that you gave here today were things I didn't know about, right? Your monthly meetings with your staff, monthly meetings with the bank. Those are things that you don't hear about. Right. And, and, uh, it doesn't matter what type of contractor you are. It's the steps are the same, right? The, the same. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the community is the same, um, valuable lessons learned, but, um, Really appreciate the time, man. And, and uh, you know, I'm sure we'll probably do this again, if you don't mind, down the road. We'll do a yeah, check-in. Yeah, um, but uh, really appreciate you having you on. My pleasure. Great seeing you.